the rule of thumb really is then you be quiet and let them ask questions. And their questions may not make sense to you. Well, where did you get that information? That's okay. They're confused by all of this. So be concrete, offer little pieces of information, and then with little ones and with old ones too, it is so important for you to be emotionally steady. Welcome to season six of Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about a family's anxiety and all the big feelings too. We tackle the serious stuff without being too serious. And I'm your co-host, Robin. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author. And I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. I'll give you concrete steps to take and the words to say. Lynn, I think the news is making me very anxious these days. Yeah, I think it's making us anxious. I think it's making us sad. I think there's a level of sort of despair and hopelessness as we see what is happening to other human beings in all sorts of ways. Yeah, it's so overwhelming. It's hard to comprehend. And here we are in New England with more headlines that are very troubling. And as we're recording this, we're in the middle of this. I've got a son that lives in Maine. He's fine. It feels inescapable, doesn't it? It is inescapable. How can we be paying attention to the world around us and not have these horrible tragedies, these horrible situations be thrust upon us and thrust upon our children? Let me just give you a few sort of I hate to use the word tips, but let me just give you some guidance in terms of how to manage this with your kids and with yourself, because that's all we're doing at this point is we're managing. I think the most important thing or first thing is that if you have young children, if you have little ones, maybe up to age six, seven, eight even, but certainly if you have younger kids, there really is no need for them to know all of this. Sometimes it's hard to prevent that from happening, but we really want to be careful with little kids about the amount of information they get about what they hear because they are not capable of understanding it in a way that's at all helpful to them or that allows them to figure out what to do. They're just not in a position. They're not in a developmental place where they can process this stuff. That might not be a luxury for all families with some of the headlines, though. Correct. Rule number one is that don't feel like you have to talk to your kids about this if they don't know about it for whatever reason. And that is sort of a luxury for a lot of people at this point that their kids don't know about it because that's not the case in all families for sure. But there is not your parental obligation to share this with little kids. It is okay if you protect them from this. What if they do hear about it? What if they're little and they do hear about it? then what you want to remember is that little kids think very concretely. For example, and I think I've probably said this before because sadly I know that we had a conversation about Ukraine, we've had these conversations before, is that during 9-11 when the news was on and little kids were watching the planes hit the building over and over and over again, they thought it was happening over and over and over again. That's how concrete they are. So it is okay for you to say to your little ones, yes, there are bad things happening right now, even to be able to say, yes, some people are hurting other people and it's making us very sad. And then 
the rule of thumb really is then you be quiet and let them ask questions. They're confused by all of this. So be concrete, offer little pieces of information. It is so important for you to be emotionally steady. That doesn't mean emotionally disconnected. It doesn't mean emotionally withdrawn, but for you to be emotionally steady. Little kids, their world really is focused on things like where they go to school and their immediate family. That's really their universe is really made up of that. So we want to make sure that little kids feel the sense of stability in their immediate family and in their most immediate environment. What I'm hearing you say, the first step is to think about if you have relatives or you have the TV on and you have young children around to really maybe wait until they're in bed so that they're not watching the TV and misinterpreting it. And also, as hard as it is to do your best to create a boundary for yourself when you're talking about it with your kids, where you maybe delay until you can do it in a more emotionally neutral place. And as you yourself are processing something, that might be very hard. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not saying like, don't let your kids see you cry. Don't let your kids hear or share as a family the distress about all of this. But we want to make sure that when our kids are watching us, when they're listening to us, that the pervasive tone or the pervasive emotional state that they are picking up on is that you are going to take care of them. Right. You're going to keep them safe in that moment. Right. It's about balancing your own way you're managing the terror, the anger, the disbelief, the shock, all of that. Protecting our kids is most parents' objectives anyway. Right. So we have to understand that protecting our kids really is figuring out how to find a space, or if you don't think you can do it, find someone else who can. That's right. And children don't need to see or hear specifics about this. I love what you said, because what you're saying is if you give a little bit of information and then stop talking, let the questions guide you to where they're at so that you're only answering their questions, which is way easier than thinking you have to synthesize really unthinkable things right now and then try and explain that to them when we have a hard time explaining it to ourselves. Correct. And even with older kids, so say you have tweens and teens, they're going to be able to handle a lot more about this and they may have a lot more opinions and feelings about it. The impact on them may be much more powerful and much more direct. Remember that they're also going to be talking to their peers about it. And so they're going to be hearing about it and discussing it in school for sure. But you still want to let them guide the conversation. There's not a, a need for you as a parent to sort of lecture or to feel like you have to lay this all out in front of them and go over it. It really is okay for these conversations to start with an open-ended question. For example, you might say to your older child, what have you heard about this? And it could be about what's going on in the Middle East with Israel, but it could also be what's going on with the shooting that happened in Maine certainly in New England or hearing about it a lot, but I'm pretty sure it's nationally everywhere, I would imagine. But if you say to them, what are you hearing about this? You can also say, do you have any questions about this? Is there anything you'd like to talk about? 
because then they're leading the conversation. And the thing to remember too is that they may do it in snippets. So even your teenagers or your 13-year-old, your 10-year-old may only want to have a short conversation about this. And that's okay because it really is okay for kids to hear this information and then move back into their normal life. It's okay for kids to have routine. It's okay for them to do their activities. And so it's sort of that developmental process that happens with your toddler at the playground where they're sitting with you and they venture out and they play a little bit and then they come back to you with a little stone or a little stick or they pat you on the knee and then they go off again. Think about that that's oftentimes the way that older kids handle all of this information is that they go off with their peers, they go off and do their thing, and then they come back to you and they want to process it with you. When we come back, let's talk about also how adults can better manage this as well. Hey, so the other day I had to change my car insurance. And guess what? I bought new car insurance and they sent me a check, right? So that you could buy something and get money back at the same time doesn't happen very often. And it's pretty darn fun. That's why you got to check out Ibotta. Ibotta is a free app that gives you the most cash back every time you shop. On hundreds of items, from groceries to beauty supplies to toys, you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. So the average Ibotta user earns $256 a year. That's actually more than I got back on my car insurance, I'll tell you. That could cover the cost of an entire shopping trip. Other apps give you points that don't amount to too much. With Ibotta, just add your offers in the app, upload your receipt, and you get real cash that you can cash out to your bank account, PayPal, or gift cards. So join the 50 million users, earn cash back every time you shop. Over 2,700 brands, everybody. Retailers, including Lowe's, Sephora, Best Buy. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying Ibotta by using the code FLUSTER when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app to start earning cash back and use the code FLUSTER. That's I-B-O-T-T-A and use the code FLUSTER. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. So when you're a parent, you're going to have your fair share of big talks with your kids, right? About all sorts of big topics. One of those big talks should involve money. And Greenlight can help with that. Greenlight is a debit card and a money app that's made for families. It allows you to do instant money transfers. You can get real-time notifications of spending. You can manage chores. You can automate allowance. I know with my kids, we really wanted to help them see the cause and effect, right? If you spend money now, you're not going to have it later. If you earn money now and you save it, maybe you can put it towards some big purchase that you're looking forward to. This is called financial literacy, and it allows kids to build independence, to learn how money works, to make them better savers, better spenders. The Greenlight app also comes with an in-app financial literacy game. It's called Level Up, so that kids can build money confidence through videos, bite-sized challenges, mini games, and more. More than 6 million parents and kids use Greenlight to learn how to make 
responsible financial choices. So stop putting off the money talk and start putting your kids on the right path. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash fluster. That's greenlight.com slash fluster to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash fluster. One of the things that I think is key to figuring out how to follow this really great advice with your kids is to get your own stuff together. I keep thinking about a lot of the advice you gave even back in 2020. When you're talking about war and violence, that's slightly different than just the dramatic uncertainty we were dealing with in 2020. But still, when our brains say like, I don't know how to compute all of this, how do we? It's important to remember that micro and macro make a difference. And this is what I talk about a lot, and I'm sure I talked about it in 2020. The big picture of this, particularly for our kids, but especially even for us, right? I mean, the big picture of all of this can make us feel overwhelmed. And we can go catastrophic. We can start to sort of project into the future. We can just be consumed with all of this uncertainty and all of the horribleness that's already happened and is happening right now. So stay micro and model that for your kids. And what I mean by that is think about how are you and your family going to put an extra emphasis on kindness? How are you and your family going to put an extra emphasis on connection? How are you going to look for opportunities for you to feel okay in very simple ways? It's important for you as an adult to have that, and it's important for your children to have that as well. So that emphasis on micro, even if you say in your family, amidst all of this in which we can't do much, we have very little control all of this, we don't know what's going to happen next, we are going to make a commitment as a family to really be kind to each other, to really be loving to each other, and to make sure that we do the things that actually bring us little moments of joy. So maybe making sure that you're going outside, looking for opportunities to have laughter. One of the things we know about grief, when people are grieving, is that you cannot stay in that state all the time. And so people move in and out of it. There's a, a moment of normalcy, a moment of silliness, a moment of connection, and then we go back into this state of despair when we're grieving. Let your kids and let yourself have that room to experience those micro moments that give us relief. We talked about this recently, you and I, personally, how I interpret that micro is that for a family to even verbalize, let's very much be in the present moment together right now. And to model that awareness that the micro is the present, because if we start speaking that way and in that language, that is part of skill building of other traits that kids need to learn. Actually, every adult needs to learn that. Yeah. And then the other skill you want to pay attention to is for one, really pay attention to your catastrophic language around your kids, as I said before. So if you tend to go catastrophic, either in your head or verbally, pay attention to that. I was just emailing with a school in Maine that I visited a few weeks ago. And when we talk about anxiety, we talk about an overestimation of the problem, right? We talk about promoting things to an emergency that are not an emergency. Some people talk about anxiety is about what if, and we should be focusing on what is. 
this is one of those situations in which there is an emergency, that this isn't about what if, this is about, for a lot of people, what is. And so the rules or the language that I use about anxiety saying like, look, you're promoting something to an emergency. We can't really use that language in these situations. So I think what you're saying, Robin, is we have to stay present in the what is, which is horrible, and make sure that we don't go launching into the what if. But the what is right now is bad, but it's not all bad. So we want to make sure that when we're in the present moment, that we're making room for the what is that's not as catastrophic as it is in other places. It's just making room for that. This is what we were actually talking about because I have a friend whose daughter is in Israel now and just moved there and isn't coming home. She doesn't want to come home. So obviously as a parent, it's so easy to get stuck in the what if. Mm -hmm. And the what is isn't that awesome either. But if she's okay, then the present moment is okay for now. I think the biggest goal, if we think about it from a parent perspective, is that as a parent, you have to, for your children, not be completely overwhelmed by this. And that being in the present moment, right, you have to stay connected to the people that are in front of you. You cannot be pulled into catastrophic places. This is our job as a parent. We have to be a steady presence. You know, I was thinking I've had plenty of people that I've known and parents that I've talked to where a child is going through cancer treatment, right? I mean, how important it is for the parents in that moment to be a steady presence. It is hard. It is really hard. It means that you have places where you're going to break down, places where you're going to lose it. But do that with other adults. Be a steady presence. The other thing too, I just want to say to all of us as adults, is that it also is really okay for you to limit your own exposure to the details, to the headlines. We want to be informed, we want to be empathic, but it is okay for you to not have a steady stream of these horrific things coming at us because it makes it harder for us to be a steady presence. As you say that, you know what I think you would say, if I am wearing my Lynn Lyons student hat, is that when we are trying to handle what we feel is very overwhelming, that desire to continue seeking additional information is a false journey that will not get you there. So stop. Right. Because we can't have any certainty in this situation. We're looking for certainty. We're looking for information. We're looking for answers. We're looking for something. It's kind of a little paradoxical because in our quest for certainty, we're looking for something that will make us feel better. But if you go down that rabbit hole right now based on what's going on, I don't think you're going to feel better, to be honest. I think you can probably tell people who listen to me a lot, I'm being very careful with my words because I feel like this is such difficult territory to be in. I want all of you to know that. But be a steady presence and give yourselves time to be away from this and give your kids permission to be away from this. And that really is okay. It doesn't mean you don't care. It's necessary for your emotional survival during all of this. Thanks for listening. And if you found this podcast helpful, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find this information. And if you'd like to dig deeper on any of these topics, we have specialized playlists on our Spotify profile and the link is in the show notes. Topics like teens, depression, and OCD. Bye, Lynn. Bye, Robin. 
Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 